This morning we turn to the book of Daniel and we'll read the first chapter. Daniel 1, all the verses. If you want to follow in the Pew Bibles, it is on page 737. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Ananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favour and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs, And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days it was seen that they they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that that were in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So far the reading. I've entitled this morning's sermon, Dare to be a Daniel and Stand Up. 
for your king. But I want to start with the story of Sue. Sue was a, a young believer who worked at a company that distributed medicines. And during the COVID pandemic, she had the important job of making sure that no vaccines were sent out if they had not been stored at the right temperature. None of the trucks could, could leave without her go-ahead with her signing off on it. One afternoon when she was finalising the paperwork for a truckload of vaccines, she realised that most of the boxes had not been stored in the cold storage room and would no longer be effective. So she refused to sign the, the documents, the release documents, and she reported the, ma- the matter to her manager. He knew how much money the company would lose if they had to replace those vaccines. So he told her to sign the paperwork and be done with it, get the truck out. And she refused to do it because she knew that as a believer, she was called to be honest in everything. And when her boss couldn't convince her, he called the owner of the business, who in no uncertain terms told her that if she didn't sign the document within the next five minutes, she'd be fired. What pressure that put on her and and all sorts of thoughts rushed through her mind. What should she do? Her hubby John was training at, at a college to be a missionary. Her salary was their only income. How would they cope? How, how could he continue with his studies? How, what would become of their dreams to serve the Lord in the mission field? Signing that document mean, meant that things would go on as normal, but it also meant doing something that was not God-honoring. How could she remain faithful to God's commands and still provide for her family? I will return to Sue and her dilemma a bit later on. But Sue's problem of coping with worldly pressures is not unique. At various times we are all faced with something similar. At work when we meet our friends, in our homes, and yes, at times even in our church lives or in the life of the denomination to which we belong, we're faced with such decisions. It's also not a new problem. It's not just us that has to deal with this. It's not just Sue. Going back in time, the reformers had to fight this disease. Both Paul and Peter instruct believers to not become like the rest of the world, but to follow the will of God. God's people have always needed to be reminded about not getting sucked into the things of this world. There's always been pressure on us. There's always been pressure on us to fit in, and there will always be pressure. That's why today's text is so valuable. Now, in the foreground, it paints this picture of the the steadfastness steadfastness of a young man under tremendous pressure. But in the background, it teaches us about God's character and about living for him in a hostile and unreceptive environment. Now, we're going to take a bit more topical approach this morning and and concentrate what this book tells us about God's character and about living for him faithfully in a foreign land. But before we look at these two things, let's just look briefly at at whether Daniel was, in fact, a real person or whether this is just a parable that paints a picture story for us. And we're going to do that because the way that we interpret and apply this text depends on whether we think the book is about a real person or whether it's just a a parable-like story designed to teach us moral values. Many scholars today suggest that that Daniel wasn't a real person. 
that the book couldn't have been set in the exile because it gives details of things that, that had not yet happened, that, that were still to happen. But let me say flat out, flat out, that's just plain hogwash. As to the criticism that the book talks about things that were still to happen, isn't that part of an Old Testament's prophet to do, of his job description, to prophesy about things that are still to come? Besides, God's word tells us that Daniel was a real person, a prophet. Jesus himself calls Daniel a prophet, and I'm pretty sure Jesus knew what he was talking about. And while the book of Hebrews does not, it doesn't mention Daniel by name, it speaks about of prophets who stopped the mouths of lions and quenched the power of fire. To those who don't accept the Bible as truth, we can say with the fullest of confidence, that the Hebrew and the Aramaic used in this book is the language of the time of the exile. There's no doubt about that. So too the Persian items, the, the Greek terms that we find in this book, they point us directly to the exile. So brothers and sisters, this should really be a no-brainer. This isn't a fable. It isn't a parable. It isn't just a story to teach us moral values or a moral lesson. It isn't something written centuries after the event of the exile. Daniel was a real, actual person living in the time of the exile. And we can look at his life and we can gain valuable insight into the life of someone who, who wanted to serve his God faithfully. Our text goes on to describe the character or the nature of God. This, this God who Daniel wanted to worship, the God who Daniel wanted to honour and glorify. And it also tells us then how to live for that God, for our God, in a hostile world, a foreign land, so to speak. So against that background then, what does our text tell us about God and his character? The book of Daniel begins with, with how the king of Babylon overpowered Judah. This was in 605 BC, shortly after Nebuchadnezzar had taken um, the throne and become the ruler. He was a, a mighty king, one who would rule over a whole empire. He was a king to be feared. But folks, listen to what verse 2 tells us. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. Did you get that? The Lord God gave Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. This wasn't good old Nebuchadnezzar who was so awesome that he could overrun the fortifications of, of Jerusalem. Yes, he and his mighty army conquered Jerusalem, but they were instruments of the, in the hand of a mighty and sovereign God. And we need to remember that God is a God of promises. He's a God who fulfills his promise. He promised blessing on his people if they remained faithful. And he fulfilled that promise. But the opposite also held true. If God's people deserted him, he promised that they would suffer the consequences. And now is the time for those consequences to come to pass. You see, for far too long, the Jews had trusted in the temple, not in the Lord who, who they claimed to worship there. They trusted in the temple. Despite the, the warnings of the prophets, they thought that the very existence of the temple will guarantee immunity against things like invasion. After all, God would not let his temple be destroyed, would he? God's people made an idol of the temple. 
as we read in the books of the other prophets, there wasn't only idolatry but also injustice. There was immoral living. Does that sound anything like today, perhaps? It wasn't just idolatry, but also injustice and immoral living. And God did what he said he would do. He gave them over to their enemies, and the holiness of his temple was spoiled. Nebuchadnezzar and his armies were instruments in the hands of God. He was in control of these events, as he is over all the events of all of history. He's in control. An old saying puts it this way, man proposes, but God disposes. We might plan things, but it's God who brings them to bear. It's God who brings his will to bear. It's God who makes his plan work. Yes, God is in control. And his control over events can also be seen in other parts of our passage. If we turn, for instance, to verse 9, we read, And God gave Daniel favour and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Now we have to remember that, that although Daniel wasn't a slave, he was nevertheless a captive. But here he was, asking for special privileges. Not really the sort of thing that you would do, that you should do as a captive. Yet he asked this. He asked this because he did not want to defile himself. He wanted to honour and to worship his God. And just like God had given Esther favour in the eyes of the chief eunuch, so too did he let Daniel find favour in the eyes of Ashpenaz. Truly God was at work behind the scenes. And if we look just a few verses forward to verse 17, we see again that it was God who gave Daniel and his three friends learning skills, great learning, skills in literature, wisdom. He also gave Daniel a special gift, the gift of understanding visions and dreams. And later in the book we see more examples of of God's faithfulness and sovereignty and power. The young men were placed in in high places in the government where they would be witnesses for the Lord. God's faithfulness and sovereignty is displayed in in Daniel's little side trip to the the lion's den. It's displayed in how Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah remained untouched in the fire. That wasn't their own doing. It wasn't their own skills. It wasn't their own cleverness. This was God's doing. Again, as with Ruth and Esther and Mordecai, God was at work, working out his sovereign plan. Brothers and sisters, this this passage, in fact, the whole book of Daniel, reminds us that God is sovereign, that that he's faithful to his promises, and that he is, that he is always in total control of all events. And we can take huge comfort in that, because this same God has also made promises to us. He promised a redeemer, and he sent his son to die for you and me, Yes, Jesus was sent to redeem us. God's word promises that everyone who repents and accepts Jesus as Saviour, as Redeemer, will be saved. In fact, everyone who accepts Jesus as Lord is saved and is assured of everlasting life. What an amazing promise that is from an amazing God. It's a promise from the, the one and only God who is faithful and is perfectly able and willing to implement his plans because He is also in control of everything. He's willing to do it. He's able to do it because he is sovereign. He's in control of everything. He's the almighty creator God. And he faithfully fulfills all, all his promises. 
This is the God who can move mountains, the God who is mighty to save, the author of salvation, who rose and conquered the grave. Knowing this about our amazing God, how should we live in a world that does not honor God? How should we live in a foreign land? Daniel is a a shining example for us about living faithfully in such a foreign land. Verses 8 to 21 paint a picture of Daniel's faithful living, shining the light for his God, the King of all kings. let's Let's just take a step back and think for a moment or to remind ourselves what is going on here. What is going on in the background? Daniel was this teenager when he was taken from Babylon. He was approximately 14 to 16 years old. As verse 3 tells us, he would likely have been from the noble families, maybe even from the royal family. Nebuchadnezzar wanted only the best and the brightest to be trained to serve him. And this was a very effective way of, of assimilating the conquered nations. Taking their children, bringing them up in the foreign land, essentially compromising them into becoming part of that world, And once they were part of the system, it was very hard to get out. And of course, for those left behind, it would be more difficult to rebel against that government because their children became part of that government. They would be rebelling against their own government, their own children, so to speak. And many, if not most of these young people, would have felt that resistance was futile. They would be assimilated. We get a sense of that futility as well in Psalm 137 that says, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept when we remembered Sion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign or a strange land? The psalmist is talking about the singing the songs of Zion, worship songs, songs in the service of God. But we have to ask if that phrase, singing the Lord's song, does not also have a deeper meaning. Brothers and sisters, when we are living for our king, if we are letting his light shine in our lives, then we are singing the Lord's song in and with our lives. Living for the Lord, living in a, in a righteous way, standing up for the things of God, seeking his will, those are some of the ways in which we honour and glorify our king some of the ways in which we sing the Lord's song. And make no mistake, my friends, we are living in a strange land, in a foreign land. Yes, we have been bought by the precious blood of Christ, but we still live in this world. Although we are citizens of the kingdom of God, we live in the kingdom of man. So we can fruitfully look towards Daniel and his friends and see how they were singing the Lord's song in a strange land. These exiled youngsters were were offered the best of food and and drink around. As verse 5 tells us, this was food fit for a king. And many of the young people would have happily gone along with this. After all, this was the good life. These were great fringe benefits, as it were, of being exiled or taken away in exile. But verse 8 tells us that this was a problem for Daniel. And the problem wasn't that he didn't like the food or that he was a vegetarian or maybe even a vegan. No, the problem wasn't that the food that had been offered to him as such, 
that the food was not good enough. The problem was that this food would have been offered to the Babylonian gods. And this just wasn't acceptable to Daniel. You see, he marched to a different tune. He sang a different song. He lived the Lord's song. He refused to participate in this idolatry. He was being true to God's commandments and he was willing to stand up for that. He dared to stand up for God. And the Lord responded by giving Daniel favor in the eyes of the chief official and he also sustained those four young men, eventually giving them favor in the eyes of the king as well. Now please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you dare to stand up for the things of God, that things will always go wonderfully well for you. It won't happen. We live in a crooked and and broken world. Standing up for God will in many cases cost you dearly. In many cases it will make your life harder. But standing up for God, daring to stand up for the things of God, daring to be a Daniel, is how we show our faith. It's how we honor God. It shows our love for the magnificent God who so loves us that he sent his son to die on the cross, suffering the agonies of hell, so that we may have eternal life. Daring to stand up for God is how we sing the Lord's song in our strange land. How do we do that though? How do we stand up for God? How do we stand up for our Saviour? Daniel shows us the way by refusing to compromise. He refused to do the things that God commanded him not to do. How do we go about that then? Let's just look at a few examples. Perhaps for some of us the pressure to assimilate or to compromise, if you like, comes in the same form as it did for Sue, that young lady that I mentioned earlier, the one who had been given an ultimatum that she would lose her job if she did not sign off that, on that load of improperly stored vaccines. What did she do? She refused to sign that, the document and the owner of the business was true to his word. She was kicked out. She lost her job. She was not willing to disobey God's command to be honest in all things and she lost her job. It was more important for her to obey her king than to obey her boss. Possibly, just possibly, you will be coming or or come before such a choice yourself in your workplace, perhaps in your children's school, when you consider what they teach the kids at school today. Would you dare to be a Daniel and stand up for your king under those circumstances? Do you be willing to stand up for God in your workplace? even if it meant losing your job? For some of us, pressure to conform or to assimilate may come as part of our sporting lives. I think of the young man who was chosen to represent his state in judo. Problem was that the competitions were on Sunday mornings and this young man did not want to miss out on church. The coach threatened to drop him, to drop him from the team, but the young man remained steadfast, knowing that his decision would also mean he would not be able to make the national trials. It was more important for him to represent his king than it was to represent his state or his country. Would you have that sort of courage to dare to be a Daniel to stand up and stand up for your king? 
For some of us, compromise comes in smaller things, things like the language we use. You know, we are encouraged to fit in with our friends. You know that, that occasional swear word is okay? From their perspective, not from mine or from the Bible's perspective. That occasional swear word is okay. Or perhaps those so-called Australianisms that some are so fond of. Those words that are really swear words, but just sort of, they just tarted up a little bit. How are you going about standing up for God in that regard? Brothers and sisters, this passage assures us that our God is sovereign. He is in control of everything. Nothing in our lives happens by chance. Christ is in us. Christ is in us as he is in all of those who come to faith in him. In response, we are to live in a way that reflects God's light into the darkness of the world around us, into the darkness of the foreign land in which we live. This is how we show he is really the Lord and maker of our lives. We have to make use of every opportunity to stand up for that God, the God who saved us. Are you shining your light for him? Are we shining our lights for him? Are you singing for the glory of the risen king? This is what it means to live faithfully, to live for Jesus. Living for Jesus is living lives that bring honor and glory to God. This is how we sing the Lord's song in a strange land. Let me return to the story of Sue. The young believer was told to approve something that she knew was wrong. What would you have done if you were confronted in such a situation? Would you have signed that document? She dared to stand up for God, dared to stand up for her king. She was fired. But that's not the end of the story. The manufacturer of those vaccines heard about what she had done. And they employed her at an even better salary. Their dreams to be able to serve the Lord as missionaries or in the mission field were saved as it were and while it will not always work out that way if we stand up for God you and I must we must keep asking ourselves in such situations in fact in all such situations am I making use of this opportunity to stand up for the God who saved me Am I making use of this opportunity to stand up for the God who saved me? Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, will you dare to be a Daniel and stand up for your king? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we can know that you are are involved in our lives and, and that you are at work in your world. Lord, it's such a blessing to know that you are in control. Because it also means, Lord, we can come to you and ask you, Lord, help us. Help us to shine for you. Help us to show the love that you have shown us, to show that to others as well. Guide us so that we can stand up for you in our lives. Guide us, Lord, so that we can sing your song with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.